Welcome to Life Church. I'm so glad that you joined with us. We really pray that this message today will make a difference in your world. I want to talk about how we can put some spark into our summer. I want to talk about how the days just won't roll by us in a way that's monotonous or mundane, but that God would give us a capacity to understand who He is. So I'm going to anchor what I'm talking about with this concept I want to call one to one. Do you remember the old phone adverts where people would ask, who would you most like a one-to-one with? And most people would say, Rich Martin, or uh, Matt Hooper, or whoever your one-to-one would be with. And some people say Martin Luther King, or whoever that would be. Well, the context that we have available to us is we can have a one-to-one with God himself. Now, I realize as I say those words that that might mean something to some people and it might not mean much to others, but I've learned enough in pastoring now that what usually happens is people either devalue who God is. In other words, they don't understand that God is God Almighty. They have a lesser view of who God is, or they don't have a proper opinion of what God thinks about you. Either one of those two things. So when we're talking about God, we're talking about the God in Psalm verse eight that says that God spun the sun and the moon and stars off of his fingertips. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth. This is the God who created the sun, the sun that lights our day, even though we don't see it very much. We know it's there, right? This is the God who is offering us an opportunity to come to Him every single day. And I realize often we might not think of ourselves worthy to approach God, and so we go through the motions, but I put to you that we can have a one-to-one, a face-to-face, an encounter, a time when God will help grow us, a time when God, God can heal us, and God can even intervene. So it's out of that context I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And I'm reading from the New King James Version, Ephesians 3.20. And you've often probably heard this quoted many times. Where a worship leader or a pastor or even a preacher might say something, and this is the verse, Now to him who is able, what a great verse, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. What a great verse. What a great context. What a great promise. But there's a condition on this promise that we often don't hear referred to. It's not just that God is able. You know, sure God is able. I think many of us would agree that God is able to do so much. God is able. Of course, we believe that he is God Almighty. But it's the next part of this verse I wanted to focus on where it says that according to the power that is at work that's in us. It's so important we understand this. And I love the grammatical way the Bible, the Holy Spirit has put this verse. And I love how he's packed in these adjectives that we have to look at. Because if if it is God just said, now to him who is able to do all, I mean, that's pretty good, isn't it? All means all. But God just doesn't say in this verse 
that God is going to do all. He uses another phrase where he says God is able to do above all. Above all. All would be good enough. All would be pretty awesome. All would be pretty amazing. But when he talks about above all, the Holy Spirit puts that in. But he doesn't just leave it above all. He puts another line in as well. Exceedingly, abundantly above all. Okay, so where we're at sometimes is, okay, we know God's God Almighty, but the exceedingly abundantly above all has a condition that we have to understand according to his power that works within us. I'm going to take you to a woman's life in 1 Samuel who needed to experience the power of God. And what I've realized is this, that our daily prayer life, distributes the power of God in our life. It's our daily prayer, it's our focus on who Jesus is that actually connects us to the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Now, if we don't understand that it's according to his power, we, can, we cannot understand this truth. But when we understand the power of prayer, then we can start talking about how we can pray for our family for our neighborhood, even for our nation. And we can distribute God's prayer in the way that is so vitally important. And this is the image that God has given me, and uh, I wanted to focus on this because I have my source, my power source this morning, which is a car battery. We all know, obviously, that a Car battery powers an engine and powers a car. Wow, we've really done a good job on these cables. <laughs> and, you know, we all know that what's so important about this battery is that without a battery, your vehicle, your car will not start. It won't actually be able, for crying out loud, can somebody sort these out for me? <laughs> Thank you so much. We all know that this, this power source is a finite source. This power source without itself will eventually run dry and eventually run out. There's a part of a car called an alternator when once the engine's moving, it recharges the battery and recharges the force. Thank you so much, Reverend Jock. Thank you for your ministry to your leads. We know that red is positive some of you are very scared, don't worry. I was a bit of a mechanic. Emphasis on a bit. We all know that we can plug into the power source of God himself. Our prayer is to plug into the power source of God himself. But if we cross these wires, what happens is we create some sparks. Yes, and I just have my safety device right now. My sleeve, yes. Yes, it is. It's a very good safety device. Make sure we're good here. Okay. Don't try this at home. If you cross the power source, you will see just a little bit of a spark. See, I'm not electrocuting myself. You can see that spark. Every morning when you wake up, or every evening when you wake up, 
You can have God Almighty as your power source. If you, came, if you, if you stay disconnected to God, then you always don't have that. Now, this is a very small power source. If you hook yourself up to Almighty God, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it just won't be a little spark. So when people ask me who would I, have, who would I like to have a one-to-one -one with, I think of all the famous people, the celebrities. I think of all those people, but I think I'm about to have a one-to-one -one with God Almighty. This just changed my entire emphasis on how I approach my day and how I create time. And it doesn't mean that some of our challenges and circumstances go away. But it means that God gives me the power to change things. Now, I think most of us agree, would agree that God is able to move. But it's this power source that we're connected to that God gives us the prayer capacity that we would pray. Why? Because God has limited himself to work through your prayers. So the more you pray for your family, your finances, your health, your people around you, the more you will see God move. Now what an enemy wants to do is have you disconnected from your power source, God. And if you become disconnected from your power source, God himself, nothing happens. You've got no spark. And you're thinking, God, why aren't you moving? God, why aren't you intervening? Well, you're not connected to the power source anymore. Now, you might still love Jesus, but I want you to the summer to re-examine your connections and reconnect. You know, what are you believing for your family and for your future and so as I take you into the Word of God, I want this image, this picture to be in your mind. Because if, if we plug into another person, I should get a person like Rich Martin up here, because Rich is always my good prop. If we plug into a person, come on, Rich. Rich, that's going to hurt you. Let me ah! <laughs> There's always one. There's always one. There ain't no power coming from Rich. But if I plug Rich into the power source, you get the point. We have to disconnect from people and reconnect to God. Thanks so much, Rich. So the power of this verse, according to the power that is at work within us, is about reestablishing an understanding for who God really is. And we do that, of course, through the Bible. And so I'm going to give you five keys to spark your life this summer. Five keys so that you can spark Whatever it is that you're going through, and, and so I'm going to take you to this passage now, 1 Samuel verse 10 of chapter 1. And here we find a woman called Hannah who could not have a child. And here we find her in the temple, in the house of God of chapter 1 verse 10. Hannah was in distress of soul. She was praying to the Lord and weeping bitterly. 
Has anybody gone through things where you weep bitterly to the Lord? Well, here she is, and she vowed, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaid and earnestly remember and do not forget your handmaid but will give me a son, I shall give my son to the Lord all the days of his life. Here we find Hannah taking her trouble to church, into the house of God. See, with so many people, we go through difficulty and challenge. We disconnect from the power source of our daily relationship with God, and we don't want to show up in the house of God. How do I know that? Because I've been there. And we want to have time to reflect and think. But there's something about being in the worship. There's something about being under the word of God. There's something about even in a place where you're going through some difficult times, you pour out your heart to God. And when you pour out the heart, your, your heart to God, guess what? God sees, God hears, and God acts. God sees the most intimate part of your life. God hears your most intimate prayers. And when God hears them, he acts on them. That's what we just read in Ephesians 3.20. That according to his power within us, that God can do immeasurably, immensely, exceedingly, far above all that we ask, dare, hope, or think. That's the Amplified Version. So it's like when we get this mindset and this understanding, we're taking a snapshot of where Hannah is at. And if we just take a snapshot picture, a selfie, of where Hannah is at that day, we're going to miss the rest of the story. But as she pours out her heart to God, she does something so powerful, so simple, so profound. And this proves that God is the God of intimacy. Intimacy is so precious because when we're going through a difficult season or a hard season, knowing that we can confide in God brings great peace to our life. Because the only sign that an enemy cannot invent is the sign of peace. And here is intimacy coming. And here's what I've learned about intimacy that I wanted to bring today. And this is the title of the message, that God can see into me. Into me see. God can see into me. So, so here's Hannah, and she's bringing this to God and praying. Read with me in 1 Samuel Chapter 1, verse 12. And as she continues, continues to pray, <laughs> Eli, who's the high priest, notices her mouth moving. And it says in verse 13 that Hannah was speaking in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. But of course she wasn't drunk, because God could see her heart. God could see her in her most intimate Difficult challenge. God can look right in, and guess what? God can look right into your situation. <laughs> we used to play a game when I was a kid called hide and seek. You know what? You cannot beat God at hide and seek because He sees your every thought, He knows every thought. He created you. That's why Psalm 139 says that God formed you in your mother's womb. And since the beginning of time until now, He knows your most intimate. Thoughts. I think we would agree with that. But I want to move past that because I want to talk about how God not only sees, but God also hears. Because in this moment, 
when she cried out to God in bitterness, what did God do? God allowed her to become pregnant. And when God allowed her to become pregnant, in verse 20, in due time, everybody say, in due time, she bore a son. And she called the son Samuel. Samuel's name means heard of God. God sees and God hears. Heard of God. She dedicated Samuel to God, this baby, who would then become a mighty prophet and grow up in God's presence and in God's power. But it started by this simple, intimate prayer, God, help me. And when God answered that prayer, he proved that God acts. So how do we get God to act? The first principle is this. The first key to spark your life is this, to study it. To study it. You see, here's Hannah, and she was living in a time where the word of God was rare. Very, very rare. Not many people understood the word of God, and yet she put herself in the house of God, and she put herself in a place where she wanted to study the word of God and the ways of God. When you begin to study and you begin to get into this Bible, the book of God for yourself, and you begin to study it, most people think, oh, you know, I used to study when I was a kid. Maybe I studied when I was in school. But to study the Bible brings such a great spark to your life. To sit down and create the word of God for yourself and to begin to study it to begin to memorize it, to begin to dig into it, to begin to remember that when we read the Old Testament, we have to remember that Jesus Christ died, was risen, ascended, and sent the Holy Spirit. So when we read the Old Testament, we have to filter that through the power of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. So when we begin to study from that perspective, we're seeing so many great things come to pass. That's why in 2 Timothy, Paul's instruction to young leaders who were building church was this, study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God, approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing and handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Wow, study it. Now this word for me, study it, had so much meaning to me because years ago, I did an evangelistic outreach team for a year. And at the end of the year, there was a lady in the church and she did this like crochet knitting Bible scripture thing. Does anybody here have that skill? I don't know if you have that skill. I'm probably not even using the right word for it. And you, she would knit together Bible scriptures. So with one person, she wrote Ephesians 3.20. Now, look, the verse I just started with, I thought, wow, what a great verse. What an awesome verse. To another person, she wrote a great promise out of Joshua and says, I know the plans that I have for you. And she wrote another verse to that person. But my frame picture was this, steady. I thought, what a cruddy word. I don't want to study. I just want it all to happen for me. But what I didn't realize at the time was that, of course, I was the first generation in my family to come to know Jesus. I didn't realize that there was a lot of abuse that went back into my family history. I didn't realize that there was a lot of depression and things that I needed to change. And what God was saying to me was, I have to realign my mindset to understand 
who God is and how he works. So studying God is not just reading a Bible verse. No, it's studying who God is and how he works. I, I guarantee if you study God this summer, that will shoot sparks into your soul. First point is this, study it. The second one is this, pray it. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? But when we study the word of God, that doesn't mean we pray the word of God. You can study the word of God and you can walk away from that situation and then be involved in an encounter that's difficult or challenging and not pray that God would act on your behalf. Praying is so powerful. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says that Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli in the days where the word of the Lord was rare and precious. And in that moment, when this young Samuel was trying to figure out his destiny and he would pray to God, God spoke to him and said, Samuel. And the old priests didn't recognize the voice of God. They should have, but they weren't studying and praying. So a young leader then heard the word, God said, Samuel. And finally, Samuel said, here I am. And he recognized that. And then from that point, Samuel began to pray in the house of God a different way. You see, when you've had an encounter with God as you study him, you pray a different way. When you stay in a zone where you study him, then when you begin to step out and pray, you pray with a confidence. Here's what an enemy wants to do. An enemy wants to destroy your confidence in him so you stop praying. He wants to destroy your faith in him so you no longer have the capacity to pray. Here's how you restore your faith of praying. You study God. If you're in a place where you feel like your faith is slipping, you go back to the scriptures, the holy scriptures of God, and you feed yourself in the word of God until you feel fed, until you feel strong. And I guarantee you when you first start feeding yourself, the distractions come. If you're anything like me, it takes me five to ten minutes. The distractions are there. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of the word of God. But the longer I sit and read and meditate and reflect, an hour or two goes by, and then I leave that place, I feel stronger. I feel stronger. And when the situation comes, I realize I've just connected to a power source that I didn't have before. And after you pray it, this is my next point, my next key, you have to attitude it. You see, often we, we, we step out and we pray it, but then when the challenge comes, we shrink back like shrinking violets. And that's why God said through Moses to Joshua, Joshua, be bold. Be courageous. You got some challenges coming, son. Joshua, are you going to be bold? Are you going to be courageous? And then he said it again. Be bold. Be courageous. What's happening? You got to get some attitude as a Christian. You got to get some fierce fight in you. Some fierce fight to stand up. If an enemy comes against somebody in my family, you know what, when I feel weak, that enemy can just take ground against me. And there are days I don't feel strong enough to find that fierce fight, so I trace it back. I go back to prayer and I go back to study. What happens is my attitude comes back. My attitude of God is the God of the impossible comes back. My attitude of God is for me, nobody can be against me. I find that attitude coming against, coming, rising up in me on the inside. And I know I've got this passion about this, 
But honestly, this is the way God had to wire me so that my father would come to know Jesus. My father who accepted Jesus in his 70s, if I didn't have an attitude to say, okay, dad, I know you don't believe in God. I know you've got all these these reasons why you can't follow him. I know you feel let down and depressed. I know all that. I wouldn't have the attitude to last 30 years before he finally made a decision for Jesus. See, often an attitude we think needs to be a day or two days. No, an attitude can be decades. But when you have that, you have the moment like I just had recently when I was able to be at my father's birthday and celebrate his 73rd-year-old birthday party with my dad. Well, that's attitude. And the, the fruit of attitude is so important. Young people, you got to get some attitude about you. When people say, oh, well, let's all sleep around. Everybody's doing it. You say, well, I ain't doing it. So, therefore, not everybody is doing it. you got some attitude. No, I believe in sexual purity. No, I believe in some attitude. I believe I'm going to save myself until I get married. I believe I'm going to protect my innocence. Why? Because God protects intimacy. God can see into you. God can protect you. God isn't going to leave you on the shelf. Because your God is able not just to do all, not just to do above, but to do exceedingly abundant above. So some of those addictions, some of those challenges, some of those things you're facing right now, you got to bring some attitude about it. I'll never forget leading a friend of mine to Jesus who was a crack-smoking, heroin-addicted friend. And when this crack-smoking, heroin addiction, uh, vodka-drinking guy came to Jesus, he found out he needed to study who God is, he needed to pray and discover this for himself, and then he got some attitude as he went and smashed all of his vodka bottles and threw them away and took his heroin and got rid of it all and got rid of his crack and then shopped his dealers to the police. He had some attitude. Some of you are like, well, I'm cool on the vodka and on the addiction and on the rest of it, but I'm not sure about that. Well, you know, every situation is different. But for him, he needed that attitude because that attitude stopped the people that he was dealing and he made them leave them alone. And he said, I'm a Jesus freak. I'm a Jesus lover. And so they decided, okay, we're going to leave that guy alone. He's just weird. We're just going to leave him alone now. And years later on went by, and of course he was able to grow in his Christian faith. Attitude is so key. Which brings me to my next point. After you have your attitude, your attitude is there for a reason. And the reason is this, point number four, reach for it. You've got an attitude to reach higher, to get back into the exceedingly abundantly. And so your attitude helps you achieve, yes, I may be weak. Yes, I may have challenges, but I'm still reaching for more anyway. You see, that's an entirely different humble perspective on life. When you reach for more of God, it's not about you. We're not into prosperity for prosperity's sake. We're into purpose. We're into the growth of God for us and for our family and for our children and for our children's children. So when I'm talking about reaching for it, I'm talking about reaching for dreams. Dreams that you've let go of. That you reconnect this summer with some great dreams for your future and for your family. That you take some time to meditate and reflect and remember what God has promised you. And you're just brave enough to study who God is, to pray through those dreams, to get your attitude back, and to begin to reach for a better tomorrow. And I get it. 
sometimes you go, oh, I don't think I can get out of bed. And you want to put the covers over your head and you just want to sleep in. But whilst you're sleeping in, there's a whole bunch of people who don't even believe that God is real, who are waking up, putting two feet on the floor, and they're out to just make a buck or rip people off or do whatever. Our purpose is so much higher than that purpose. Our purpose is eternity. Our purpose is to populate heaven. And so I get it. The enemy wants us to be depressed. He wants us to sleep in and forget about his purposes this summer. But when we understand this, everything begins to change. How did God use this young man in Samuel? When Samuel began to reach for a bigger destiny, God reminded Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 that the Lord sees not as man sees. That the Lord does not look on the outward appearance as man does, but the Lord looks on the heart. And there that day, God told Samuel, Samuel, there's a young shepherd boy called David who has hidden my word in his heart. And there on a field, this young shepherd boy began to study the word of God pray about God's purposes, develop attitude as he got rid of the lion and the bear and began to reach for more as he wrote songs and he started to see the heavens and he talked about the glory of God and the presence of God. And he wrote psalms like, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for God is my presence. He will comfort me. And then it goes on to say that the blessings of God shall follow after me all the days of my life. That was David. He was reaching for something. So God saw in that intimate moment where David was, and he sent Samuel, heard from God, to take action, not just for David's sake, but for the sake of a generation yet to come. Which brings me to my final key is this. Keep at it. When you keep at it, when you stay focused and you don't give up, and you keep at it, you may not be discovered next week. You may not get your pay rise that next week, but really that becomes irrelevant when you have your one-to-one -one with God. What becomes important to you is you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is the spark in your soul. And you will keep following Jesus even when other people don't understand you. The first thing that David had to overcome was his oldest brother letting him know, David, you're never going to amount to anything. He'd been neglected and forgotten. But God will not forget you because he sees the attitudes of your heart. And here David had to come in and overcome Eliab's discouragement. How did David do that? Because he remembered the God who he worshipped on the hillside. I think if we meditate and get stronger in the word of God, I think we'll go further and farther than we would ever do if we just let life happen to us. So I go back where I started. God sees God hears and God acts. Is there anybody here this, this day that wants God to act on their behalf? Is there anybody here who needs God to act on the behalf of someone that you love and care about? Well, this is how we do this. We keep at it. Because here's the truth. If you don't keep at it, the people that just came to your mind when I said that, if you don't keep at it, how will they grow? How will they understand how good God is if you don't keep at it? You see, these stakes are high. 
And all the enemy has to do is allow you to be so discouraged and so broken that you disconnect from your power source. And once your power source is disconnected, you'll never be able to find that spark in your soul. But I'm here to let you know, I'm here to remind you that we're going to keep at it until the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. I'm so glad that we had this time together. And now we are praying that you get busy following Jesus, making a difference in your world. And we want to invite you, come visit us in one of our four campuses, Bradford, Leeds, Belfast, or Warsaw, Poland. And we would love to see you soon.